baskets and uh, you could just place that card in there. Or if you did it through the QR code, that QR code is really helpful for us because it eliminates a lot of paperwork. Uh, it eliminates a lot of paper too. So uh, if you've done it through the QR code, it goes directly to our uh, database and it makes it a lot easier for us. So it's my turn to preach. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I, I, I just, I'm excited about being able to share uh, today. Um, I like, when I do share, I like sharing specifically things that we can pull out from the Bible itself. And, and one of the things that I enjoy a lot about uh, this relationship with Jesus that we have is the opportunity to be able to hear his voice, to be able to know our God, uh, to be able to have a relationship with him. And, and, and it's not just something that we memorialize. When we come here, we sing, and we, we worship our hearts out, and, and the band, the worship teams. I, I love working with every team that I get to work with here. This is like one of the biggest blessings that I have is to come here and to, to minister in worship with each individual that we have here. But we do this not because of any reason uh, to entertain you or anything like that. And let me tell you, there's some people in these worship teams that are really good musicians. Like, if you knew kind of their pedigree as far as musicianship is concerned, you'd be like, wow. But it's not about that, right? We come here every week and we offer our gifts, we offer what we have to God because... We want God to be glorified. We want to connect with the living God, the God that knows us and that we are coming to know as we relate and as we walk in a relationship with him. And so what I like to do is I like to, uh, one of the good things that we have also is that we have the scripture and there's actually within the scripture words that Jesus himself said to us that were left as a record of the words of God, of Jesus himself. And there's so many things that we can learn and, and as a result of just hearing and listening to the word of God. So today we're going to talk a little bit about one of my favorite stories of the life of Jesus. And why do this? Because part of what we believe as Christians is that Jesus... By, his, by the Holy Spirit is still alive, is still speaking, is still ministering to us today. And so in order to know what it is that God wants us to do, it's good to look at Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus himself referred to himself as, well, he said, hey, if you see me, you see God. And so if we want to know the Father, if we want to know the Holy Spirit, if we want to kind of get a picture of who God is and how he works, we can simply go to Jesus and see the Father, see the Holy Spirit. In a sense, not only see it, but listen to what he has to say about what it is that God does in our lives. You see, so we have that. We can look at Jesus to know the Father. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning that the same God who worked in the past is the same God who works in the present, is the same God who works in the future. And by the way, that only pertains to us as time because the way God sees things is no time. He sees everything from beginning to middle to end. 
Time is a construct of our own existence, but God is not limited, nor does God know time for that matter. He just sees things as they are. So for us to say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, in God's eyes and from God's perspective, he's just like, I am who I always am all the time. (laughs) There is no yesterday, today, forever. In God's perspective, there's only the present, and God is always who he is. He's faithful. He's good. He speaks. He desires a relationship with each one of us. In the New Testament, we encourage that God still guides, and he still speaks to us, and he still shows us the good things that he has prepared for each one of us. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Think about it. We, we, we listen to that scripture and many times, you know, we, we take these promises of God and we use them like little fortune cookies. And, but we forget that there is something more behind that statement. That's just not a statement that everything is going to be good. It's a statement that is backed up by the living, all-powerful God and the fact that that God keeps his promises from eternity. He is faithful. He cannot change. He does not have the ability to change his faithfulness, nor he has the ability to change how he loves each one of us. So when we think of that scripture again, God works all things together for good. There's a lot behind that. It is backed up with promise. It is backed up with assurance. In Ephesians chapter 2.10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. Some other translations say his workmanship. The original Greek says poema, which is the word that we get poem from. We are God's masterpiece. We are his poem. We are his piece of artwork. That he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Think about this, guys. Eternity. God lives in eternity. Eternity means this, that no one created God. No one birthed God. There is not a beginning for God. God has always been. He always is. Presently, he always is. For him... Everything is present. For him, everything is now because he always is. There is no beginning for God. And from that point in our ability to create time and to understand time, whatever that is, he had a plan for us. He had a plan for us. And from his perspective, which is the present, all the time, he still has a plan for us. And from his perspective, which is the present all the time, he will have a plan for us. God Almighty sees us and keeps us, takes us into account and says, I have something good for you. We believe 
that God is not only guiding us today, but he is still actively communicating how he feels about us and what he desires for us to do. And one of the most important things that we can do is to develop a familiarity with God's voice. Now, what does that mean? It it doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to say, let me see, who am I going to pick on this service? Oh, Maria. Hi, Maria. Maria, why weren't you playing piano this morning? (laughs) Sorry, that's not what God said. (laughs) But it doesn't necessarily mean in this sense. Sometimes... God speaks to us, but we don't understand or we can't hear what he's saying. And a lot of times in our perspective, speaking means exactly that, right? So God is speaking to us. And if God wants to speak to me, then he'll do it in this way so that I can hear. But God at times speaks differently. God at times has even a different language in the sense of, The way he speaks may not be understood unless we have another place that we can find where God has spoken before that can attune us to that voice. So God may be speaking to you a lot, but you're not going to recognize it necessarily until maybe we get to the place where we go to where God has spoken in the past and where his word has been established from the past and we begin to read the scripture. And as we begin to read the scripture and read and read more, then we start recognizing those little impressions that we were getting. Oh, that was God. I remember the first time I came to Christ. I didn't grow up in the church. I came to Christ when I was a late teen, 17 to 18, grew up in New York City, Brooklyn. I didn't tell the story in the first one, but I don't know why I'm telling it now. But I remember I had no concept of the Bible at all, none whatsoever. And I went into uh, this church. I became a Christian, went into this church. I knew I had to go to a church, was in this youth group, and we, were, we kept singing these songs, kept singing all these songs, and they were great songs, and they were drawing me to to the Lord, and I was like, wow, this is powerful, this is powerful. And then I started reading the Bible, and I started realizing, oh, that song is in the Bible. Not exactly the way it was, but those words that we were singing, that's a Bible verse. Oh, that, that, that's in the, that's God, that's the words of God. And then from there, I started internally realizing and recognizing that God was speaking to my heart because I would be in a situation and all of a sudden I hear, my peace is with you. And I connected to that scripture, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives. I'm like, God is talking, God is speaking to me. But it wasn't until I started reading scripture that the lights went on that those songs that I was singing were actually scriptural, were actually the word of God. And it wasn't actually till I started reading scripture that I started realizing that God has been speaking to me more than what I thought. I just didn't know his words. I didn't understand his words. God speaks. And so we could also spend time in prayer. And there's a way to get to know God, the voice of God. The Bible says in John 10, 27, 
My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, the cool thing about this time with the sheep and the shepherds and all that stuff is that the shepherds would train their sheep to recognize their voice and to respond only to their voice. So that was part of the training that the shepherd did. The shepherd, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. It was his responsibility, by the way, to make sure that his sheep understood his voice. Think about that, because there's some spiritual application to that, because it is the Holy Spirit's job to do the work of regeneration and of holiness inside of us. It is God's job to help us to learn how to hear his voice. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's with a (laughs) over the head. But it is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to help us as his sheep to learn how to hear his voice. And so the shepherd would send the sheep out and he would do whatever he did, whether it was a whistle or a call, and the sheep knew, that's my guy, I'm going to him. If anyone else tried to do that, the sheep would not respond because the shepherd had trained his sheep to hear his voice. And that's how it was done back in the day. So God speaks through so many different ways. But in general, the Bible is the narrative of how God has revealed himself to humanity throughout history. And even more specifically, when it comes to Jesus... We have his very words. That's what's awesome. The words of the one that the early church apostles believed to be true even to the point of death. So think about this, guys. Jesus' words were spoken. These people are believing, these group of people, Paul, Peter, John, the apostles, they're believing, and they're not historically too removed from the actual event itself. Okay? Okay? So these guys, who are maybe 30, 40, uh, some of them were with him, obviously, but by the time they're sharing their story, they're about 30, 40 years removed from the actual event of Jesus coming and dying on the cross. They're sharing what they're sharing, and not only are they sharing what they're sharing, but they're dying for it. They're sacrificing everything for it. And listen, it would be easy to do that if I was telling you a story that only someone on the other side of the world knew, but you all didn't know that story. You would have to depend on my depiction. You would have to depend on what I'm telling you, right? If I'm telling you a story about something that happened to me, and I tell you that on the other side of the world in Russia is the only other person that saw that, you either have to believe me or not. But in that area, they all knew. They were in this geographical area. Keep in mind that whatever stories were going around about Jesus by these disciples who were dying for their faith, who were doing things, incredible things, the people around them would have said, nah, that's not true. That didn't happen. I was here. We're not talking about a story that someone is giving you that happened in another part of the world. So these disciples themselves are taking the words of Jesus, the words that they heard from Jesus, and they are living their life according to it. They are dying as a result of it. They are putting their faith in it, and they are risking everything because, remember, they weren't living in 2022 America where we could come to church and gather together and generally not be afraid of someone killing us for our faith. 
They were gathering in a time where persecution was the norm. They were gathering in a time where this message of Jesus was, was, was a mystery to everyone. No one knew what was going on. The, the Roman Empire thought that they were atheists for believing in Jesus. Could you imagine that? The Romans called the Christians atheists because they left the worship of the pagan gods. So Christians were considered atheists. Christians had to live their lives worshiping in caverns and secret and houses and, and doing these things for hundreds of years. And guess what? That was the most powerful time of the church. The most powerful time in history for the church was at the beginning and throughout the 300 years that they were persecuted. That's all I'm going to say about religious liberty. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm glad I'm here in this building. But if I wasn't here in this building, I'd be in a cave. I'd be at my table doing the same thing. That's Christianity. We don't need religious liberty from a government to make us faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to say. So we go into the story. One of my favorites, Jesus, Lazarus. I preached about this before. I think Phil has preached it before. I remember the first time I came upon this story when I was in uh, college studying for ministry. And one of our assignments was that we had to prepare a five-minute sermon to do on the radio. That was our, our assignment from pastoral uh, pastoral preaching or something, something like that. And so I'm going, I'm like, all right, I have to do a five-minute sermon. And then I realized that is the hardest thing for a preacher to do, <laughs> to do a sermon for five minutes. We had to do a little sermonette, and it had to be coherent. It had to be theological. It had to, it had to be applicable. And all this stuff that you would do in a 30, 45-minute sermon, one, two-hour sermon, depending on how much time. No, I'm just joking. Um, we had to do it in five minutes. And I remember when I hit this story and I was like, wow. It, it literally blew my mind about the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God. So let's, let's get to it. A man named Lazarus, this is John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Keep that in mind. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent the message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Your dear friend is very sick. It's almost like saying, Lord, the, you, the, we've had a relationship with you. We, these people weren't just like people that Jesus met around his journey. These were close friends. These were some of the people that he shared his life with. Just so that you understand how close the relationship was here. These were close friends, and he loved them. And he said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So Jesus had a really close relationship with them. And so, you know, in my mind, I would think, wow, okay, Jesus loved them. He was close with them. So, man, there's a sense of urgency here, right? <laughs> but listen to what happens. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus, Lazarus is... Lazarus, excuse me, 
<laughs> Sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So obviously, he's already declaring right from the beginning, guys, this is, this is all right. Don't worry. God is going to be glorified. God is going to be glorified. So he already knew the end from the beginning. He already knew that the solution was going to be such that it would glorify God. And so we think, yeah, Jesus, of course, you're going to go and you're going to help those that you love and you already know. And so you're going to get up and you're going to use your power. And it says in verse 5, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so keep that in mind, he loved them. But although he loved them, there was something greater going on here that he had to defer to. Verse 6 says he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally. He said to his disciples, all right, let's go back to Judea. So he stayed where he was. And and it's purposeful. I love the fact that the the scripture itself is very purposeful in the words that they use, right? He loved them. And it's specific about saying that because it's important that we know that he didn't hate these people because this, this, this kind of goes to the story. This goes to the power of the story. There was a lot of love. It would be like, you know, if one of my family members were, were sick and, and, I was sitting, and I was standing here and someone called me and said, hey, you got to get to your family member. Listen, someone else, I'd leave my notes, but one of you are going to have to come up and finish the sermon because I'm going to go. But imagine if I said, all right, yeah, you know what? They could wait. <laughs> they could wait two days. <laughs> that just wouldn't happen. I would have to hear an audible voice from God for that. But Jesus waited two days. And he stayed there. But it was good because we already know he already proclaimed from the beginning. But wait a minute. God is at work here. So chill. God is at work. And so they were expecting him to move, but he stayed there two more days. I think to myself, in a logical situation, if I had the power to change something, I would immediately jump and do everything I can. But then when Jesus finally decides that he's going to do something, the funny thing is the disciples kind of were negative toward him. They gave him a little bit of attitude even. And it says this in verse 8, but his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. (laughs) Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And I'm sure Jesus meant something totally different than, hey, it's daytime, let's go. And one of these days, I'll preach on that. But that's not what I'm going to preach about. So we're going to kind of jump over that like a little bridge. And we're going to get to. (laughs) Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I'm going to go to wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. He'll get better soon. In other words, we don't have to leave. He's going to be better. Let's stay here. He'll get better, wouldn't he? Why do we have to go there? Why do we have to face danger? And they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, 
you will really believe. And there's the purpose. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For your sake, I'm glad I stayed two days, even though it looks like somehow I wasn't paying attention. It wasn't that at all. Even though it looks like somehow what I was doing was negligent, it wasn't that at all. For your sake, I'm glad I hung out for two days. God's perspective is so different from our perspective at times, right? What seems like to us, hey, get up, go. To God, no, I got something bigger. Two days, I'm going to wait two days. Something bigger is happening here. But you have the power. Get up, go now. No, two days. Two days, I got something bigger going on. God's perspective, totally different. And then it says, uh, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. And then Thomas, of course, good old Thomas says, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so that we could die with him too. Come on. And it wasn't like, yeah, let's go so that we could die with you. It wasn't like that at all. Remember, Thomas was doubting Thomas. Remember, he's the one that said, unless I see the holes in his hands and his feet, Thomas was like, yeah, okay, let's go. Let's die too. That was more like it. <laughs> it always amazes me to see this, to see the... And, and it always amazes me, guys, that humanity is so all over the Bible. And I say that in a, in a, in a great way. It should give us hope. It should give us hope when we see things like this in the Bible. Because we are not superhumans. Christ does not come to make us superhumans. That's not what Christianity is about. We are humans. Christ comes to redeem those that cannot redeem themselves. We need to understand this. We need to understand the true powerlessness of our humanity to be able to make anything happen to us, to change us in an eternal way. And the humanity is so all over Scripture in the way people even reacted to Jesus himself. In the way Je they reacted to the, the guy who was performing miracles left and right, you'd think they'd be like, this is great. But their humanity is all over there and it should encourage us. Because we are human and yet God comes to save human beings just like us. In spite of us. He comes. And so he's still with them. He didn't say, oh, gosh, these people. I'm done with these people. I'm tired of them questioning me. I'm tired of, Thomas, I heard that. I heard what you said. Just because you mumbled that under your, your breath doesn't mean I didn't hear that. I heard what you said. No, he didn't do any of that. And so, you know, in a sense, who can blame him? It's too late now in their mind. But they get up and reluctantly they go. And verse 17 says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus was already, had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Mary got word that Jesus, I'm sorry, when Martha, very important, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. 
Martha said that to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. It's interesting to me that Mary did not run out to meet Jesus, and Martha did. Now, if you remember the story, right, Martha was the one who was busy washing and cleaning and doing all the dishes and stuff, while Mary was the one who was pouring this expensive perfume at Jesus' feet to wash his feet, to anoint his feet. Now, think about this. We, we obviously cannot put a value on what that perfume was and how much it cost because we, we don't have a... We really, it's, it's hard for us when we read that to, to conceive how expensive that perfume could have been. But it was super expensive. It was really expensive. Think of the most expensive... I don't know, if you're, if you're into perfumes, what is the most expensive perfume out there? Like Chanel number five? Is it one of the... I don't know, Chanel number one? I don't know what's out there. <laughs> but I mean, a perfume that would cost like hundreds of dollars that I would never pay for. But think about that. If we could equate it, if we could equate it to something valuable. Forget the perfume, what's valuable for you? What is the most valuable thing? And yet, she was willing to pour this on Jesus' feet. Now, why was she waiting, though? No, I don't think she had faith. That's a good, uh, I think is the opposite. Think about this. And maybe I'm, again, maybe I'm reading too much into this. But I know that there have been times in my life when I felt like God owed me something. There have been times in my life when I've said to God, God, I did this. I gave you this. I've sacrificed this. Everything that I've had, I've given you 32 years of my life in ministry. I've I've done all this. Why? As if somehow my sacrifice was equal to the cost that Jesus paid on the cross for my deliverance. As if somehow even my sacrifice was worthy enough to earn that God would be required to do something in my life when I wanted it and at the time that I wanted it. And how I wanted it. God, I sacrificed my life. God, I gave you the best. Jesus, I poured out some really expensive perfume on your feet. I don't think it's a mistake that these details are in there. Why would they put that? Martha went first and Mary stayed. That's not necessary to the redemptive history or whatever the narrative, but there's a reason, I think. It might be a stretch, but I think that that was going on. And Well, maybe Mary and Martha would not necessarily buying everything right now. And it was hard. And things were going on. And, and so Jesus says in verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again to Martha. 
It's almost as Martha's answer is dismissive and anecdotal when she says, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I know, yeah, I know theology. I know in the last days, in the resurrection, everything, everyone else will rise, and, and I know in the last day that he will rise again. Now, I don't think she said it that way, but I think that there was no, absolutely no thought of in the present. She's, she's obviously looking at, yeah, it's, it's too late, he's dead. And so it's easy to say, oh, yes, you know, in the last days we'll all rise, right? Instead of, instead of saying, hey, could you do it now? That wasn't even a thought for her. But Jesus pushed back and says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection, ego emi. I am the same words used in the Septuagint in the Old Testament to describe I am And there was a little bit of purpose behind this because keep in mind that the only Old Testament that the Jews had at this point that they were reading from was the Septuagint. There wasn't a Hebrew translation that they were coming, uh, that they they had at that point that they were coming up with uh, their theology or their teaching or what they were what they were reading at that point was the Septuagint. So most of the Jews in temple will read the version that they translated from the Septuagint to Hebrew, okay? And the Septuagint for years and years and years in Israel's history, in the Hebrew history, was what was considered the Word of God because the original Hebrew text by that time was, you know, hundreds of years in the past. And so they had before them the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation that they translated back into Hebrew. And so the Egoemi, when he said that, I am, everyone's ears went, whoop. There's more. He's just, he's, he's connecting himself to the I am. Jesus connecting himself to the I am. That's a side theological thing if you want to have fun with that. But he says, I am, ego emi, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? He says to her. He challenges her and says, do you believe this, Martha? And almost as, uh, as if to say, Martha, don't you remember who I am, what I've done. Don't you remember that I, I, I've done all these things in your presence and you've seen me. Don't you think that I can take care of this situation? And she says in verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha and Mary met him. Now think about this, right? She's there. She's probably upset. She didn't go. But Jesus still, and this is what's so powerful about God, and I love this about God, and I love that he works in our humanity. She was probably not happy with him, but Jesus said, where is she? I want to see her. I still want to see her. 
And Martha goes to Mary and says, Mary, Jesus wants to see you. He's like looking for you. He's wondering where you are. And, and, and to me, I would think that maybe some of the shame of feeling that, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm not happy with what's going on here. And I really don't want to run to him right now. But as soon as she heard that, in spite of that, Jesus still was pursuing that relationship, that that friendship, that relationship was important enough where he would ask for Mary specifically. What did she do? She got up and she ran to Jesus. She went there. And I think of how powerful that is, that, that, little, that little verse there of understanding that even when things are not looking good for us, even when our humanity gets in the way and, and at times we don't have necessarily the best uh, reactions to things that go on, God still says, hey, where's Grimaldi? Where's Mary? Where's Joseph? Where's John? Where's Jose? Where's Carlos? Where's Celine, <laughs> my wife. Uh, where are you? Where, I'm, I'm still looking for you. I'm still interested in this relationship. You're still important to me. And so it says that Mary went up. And when the, when the, the mourners saw her leave hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there now. This is, this is pretty, this is a, an interesting, just a side note on this interesting dynamic in the Middle East when it comes to mourning. Uh, and, and there's this aspect of wailing that is involved. The, I, I, I always say this, certain Hispanic cultures, and I'm going to speak for my Hispanic culture, certain, I think it happens in certain African American cultures and definitely in some uh, Middle Eastern cultures that I know of. And if it happens in any other culture, it doesn't, you can let me know afterwards. I'd love to hear what happens. But there's something, there's this dynamic that happens in, in funerals that can sometimes get to an over-the-top aspect in wailing and mourning. And I've been in, I've been in funerals where, where, you know, I was traumatized just watching what was going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was traumatized with the hysterics that were going on. And I understand, you know, there's obviously, there's obviously some, you know, we, you've lost someone. I get it. But I'm, I'm only saying not to make fun of that, but to let you know what type of atmosphere this was. In the Middle East, and it still happens today, you'll hear them mourning and wailing. It's like a, ah, it's like a gutter. It's just like a real strong uh, wailing in their culture when someone dies. And so that's what was going on. This is the dynamic. You have all these people wailing and screaming and, you know, and they could turn it on and off at a, at a drop of a dime. You know, they could, they could turn it on and off, but they were, they were on at this point because they saw Mary going to see Jesus and they're wailing. And, and she goes to them, she goes with the whalers, and this is happening. Imagine the whalers with her, and they're coming to Jesus, and they say, Lord, if only, she says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, God, it's too late. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And all these whalers, ah, 
And Jesus is seeing this. And of course, Jesus is, is divine. And he's, you know, we know about the deity of the Son and all that stuff. And, and Jesus had already declared at that point the, the outcome of this whole thing. He knew the end from the beginning. But he sees the humanity coming, the, the people coming, the people that he loved, along with these wailers, they're crying. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him, and he was deeply troubled. Now, that word that's translated anger is translated, and in, in, in different translation, it means more like he was, he was troubled in a sense of like he was almost emotional about it, like it was hurting his feelings. It was hurting him that he would see the people that he loved and, and this whole army of wailers behind them crying and in pain and it troubled him and this is also in the same section that says the shortest scripture in the whole bible that when he saw this he wept he wept and a lot of people like to because a lot of people have a hard time with with humanity and Christianity, let's be honest, the church is not really good with dealing with humanity. Somehow we've, we've made it that we, we think that we become superhuman when we are Christians. And so we have a hard time with humanity. We have a hard time putting humanity into theology and understanding how it works. But Jesus himself responded in a very human way when he saw the people crying when he saw the person that he loved crying and the mourners behind him says that he was deeply troubled. And when he saw them crying as he was going to the tomb, he actually wept. He actually wept. And you see, our God, even in the midst of knowing the beginning from the end, even in the midst of understanding that God is going to work all these things out, that whatever trouble is happening at this point is going to be fine at the end. Jesus already knew that this was going to glorify him, that this was going to be something that was going to honor God. He knew all that, and yet he was still troubled when he saw the people crying when he saw the people weeping, and it wasn't for their lack of faith, it wasn't for any other reason except that Jesus knows and is moved by the suffering of humanity. And our God is a compassionate God. And he not only is compassionate, but he also loves us with a never-ending love. And so he loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and he saw these people weeping. He knew it was going to be okay, but he didn't sit there and say, hey, all things work together for good for God. For those who are called by, why are you crying? Hey, what's wrong with you? Don't you have faith? Hey, don't worry. Be happy. That's corny, but you know what I'm saying. He didn't take light of the situation. If anyone could have said, hey, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you have faith? He had the power to say that, right? He could have said that. But he looks at all of them. He looks at the people that he loves, the people that he cares about. 
He knows this is going to be all right. He saw them in pain and he cried with them. And he cried for them. And in that broken spirit, in a sense, he goes and he performs the miracle. Everything happens the way it should happen. God gets glorified. But I guarantee you, Jesus wasn't like, hey, I got this. Come on, stop your crying. What's wrong with you? Man up. None of that. Woman up, whatever. None of that. None of that. Think of the heart of God. We might be in a situation right now. And I'm going to tell you two things that you can count on. And we're going to close. One is, God is going to work it out. I promise you. And I promise you that not because my power to promise it, but because it's backed up by big guy. (laughs) It's backed up by his promise. It's backed up by his word. It's backed up by the way he's throughout generations have have, uh, dealt with us, with humanity. God is in control, and he will get you through it. If you're walking through a, pers- a place right now in your life where it's dark, where you, don't, where you don't have any understanding, I get it. It's hard. God is going to get you through it. Be encouraged. God is there. That's one. Number two, if you have a hard time and you don't respond well all the time, it's okay. It's okay. Now, don't go off and do anything dumb. Sorry, I am from Brooklyn. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, so what if you don't always respond the best to the situation that you find? So what if not every minute of your life you are totally assured that everything is going to work out? God and what he does, guys, is on a plane that's not controlled by our emotions. Okay? Our emotions do not control God. That is a false narrative. That is a false idea. God, if he is God, he is above our ability or inability. Okay? If we somehow feel like we deserve something, thousands, hundreds of years of theology will tell you that What you have, what we have is a gift of mercy. What we deserve is justice. So none of us deserve anything. It's not based on what we deserve. It's not based on justice because if it was based on justice, then we'd be in trouble. It's based on mercy. And God's plane of mercy operates above whether we feel it or not that day. Hallelujah. Be encouraged. Let's stand. Uh, we got to take the offering going. <laughs> the baskets are over there, and if you could pass them down, put your uh, offering and your connection card in there. And... Um, Let's pray. If you want prayer, if you're in the middle right now of walking through a trial,
and you are in that place of, man, I, you know, I'm not necessarily walking through this the best. I need prayer. I need help. I need someone to pray for me. Our ministry team, we're going to have our ministry team come up. So if you guys in the ministry team that are here, if you can come up and get ready. You guys can come up at the end of service when I dismiss you and get some prayer. Um, and uh, just let the Lord encourage you. You know, it may not change. You may not leave here today and inside it may not change or outside may not change anything, okay? That's all right. That's not what, this is not about you walking around internally controlling everything else by how you feel. This is to let you know that in spite of how you feel, in spite of what's going on in your life, in spite of what's going on, God is still there. He is still there. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the one that is faithful. It says faithful is him who started. He will complete it. Scripture is real or we're just manipulating with our emotions. Get this out. This is God. He is doing it. He is at work. All right? Be encouraged by that. Father, we thank you for what you have, for who you are, for what you do, God. It's not always easy to walk this walk of faith, but God, at the same time, we know that you are, you never leave us alone. You're always there. You are, you're working this out. And so, Father, we just walk, we just continue to put one foot in front of the other, and we walk knowing that our God is in control. And so we put our lives, our our hands, our minds, our hearts, everything that we have, we put in your hands, and we ask that you would move in our lives. And show us, Lord, the faithfulness of your love. Show us, O oh God, that you are good no matter what, and that we could put our trust and our confidence in you. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. If you need prayer... If you need prayer, please come up, and we have our prayer people here ready to pray for you. God bless you.